chapter seven part one of the suppression of the african slave trade to the united states of america sixteen thirty eight to eighteen seventy volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the suppression of the african slave trade to the united states of america sixteen thirty eight to eighteen seventy by w e b du bois toussaint l'ouverture an anti-slavery effort seventeen eighty seven to eighteen o six part one forty influence of the haitian revolution forty one legislation of the southern states forty two legislation of the border states forty three legislation of the eastern states forty four first debate in congress seventeen eighty nine forty five second debate in congress seventeen ninety forty six the declaration of powers seventeen ninety forty seven the act of seventeen ninety four forty influence of the haitian revolution the role which the great negro toussaint called l'ouverture played in the history of the united states has seldom been fully appreciated representing the age of revolution in america he rose to leadership through a bloody terror which contrived a negro problem for the western hemisphere intensified and defined the anti-slavery movement became one of the causes and probably the prime one which led napoleon to sell louisiana for a song and finally through the interworking of all these effects rendered more certain the final prohibition of the slave trade by the united states in eighteen o seven from the time of the reorganization of the pennsylvania abolition society in seventeen eighty seven anti-slavery sentiment became active new york new jersey rhode island delaware maryland and virginia had strong organizations and a national convention was held in seventeen ninety four the terrible upheaval in the west indies beginning in seventeen ninety one furnished this rising movement with an irresistible argument a wave of horror and fear swept over the south which even the powerful slave traders of georgia did not dare withstand the middle states saw their worst dreams realized and the mercenary trade interests of the east lost control of the new england conscience forty one legislation of the southern states in a few years the growing sentiment had crystallized into legislation the southern states took immediate measures to close their ports first against west india negroes finally against all slaves georgia who had had legal slavery only from seventeen fifty five and had since passed no restrictive legislation felt compelled in seventeen ninety three to stop the entry of free negroes and in seventeen ninety eight to prohibit under heavy penalties the importation of all slaves this provision was placed in the constitution of the state and although miserably enforced was never repealed south carolina was the first southern state in which the exigencies of a great staple crop rendered the rapid consumption of slaves more profitable than their proper maintenance alternating therefore between a plethora and a dearth of negroes she prohibited the slave trade only for short periods in seventeen eighty eight she had forbidden the trade for five years and in seventeen ninety two being peculiarly exposed to the west indian insurrection she quickly found it inexpedient to allow negroes from africa the west india islands or other place beyond sea to enter for two years 
this act continued to be extended although with lessening penalties until eighteen o three the home demand in view of the probable stoppage of the trade in eighteen o eight the speculative chances of the new louisiana territory trade and the large already existing illicit traffic combined in that year to cause the passage of an act december seventeenth reopening the african slave trade although still carefully excluding west india negroes this action profoundly stirred the union aroused anti-slavery sentiment led to a concerted movement for a constitutional amendment and failing in this to an irresistible demand for a national prohibitory act at the earliest constitutional moment north carolina had repealed her prohibitory duty act in seventeen ninety but in seventeen ninety four she passed an act to prevent further importation and bringing of slaves etc even the body servants of west india immigrants and naturally all free negroes were eventually prohibited forty two legislation of the border states the border states virginia and maryland strengthened their non-importation laws virginia freeing illegally imported negroes and maryland prohibiting even the interstate trade the middle states took action chiefly in the final abolition of slavery within their borders and the prevention of the fitting out of slaving vessels in their ports delaware declared in her act of seventeen eighty nine that it is inconsistent with that spirit of general liberty which pervades the constitution of this state that vessels should be fitted out or equipped in any of the ports thereof for the purpose of receiving and transporting the natives of africa to places where they are held in slavery and forbade such a practice under penalty of five hundred pounds for each person so engaged the pennsylvania act of seventeen eighty eight had similar provisions with a penalty of one thousand pounds and new jersey followed with an act in seventeen ninety eight forty three legislation of the eastern states in the eastern states where slavery as an institution was already nearly defunct action was aimed toward stopping the notorious participation of citizens in the slave trade outside the state the prime movers were the rhode island quakers having early secured a law against the traffic in their own state they turned their attention to others through their remonstrances connecticut in seventeen eighty eight prohibited participation in the trade by a fine of five hundred pounds on the vessel fifty pounds on each slave and loss of insurance this act was strengthened in seventeen ninety two the year after the haitian revolt massachusetts after many fruitless attempts finally took advantage of an unusually bold case of kidnapping and passed a similar act in seventeen eighty eight this says belknap was the utmost which could be done by our legislatures we still have to regret the impossibility of making a law here which shall restrain our citizens from carrying on this trade in foreign bottoms and from committing the crimes which this act prohibits in foreign countries as it is said some of them have done since the enacting of these laws thus it is seen how spurred by the tragedy in the west indies the united states succeeded by state action in prohibiting the slave trade from seventeen ninety eight to eighteen o three in furthering the cause of abolition and in preventing the fitting out of slave trade expeditions in united states ports the country had good cause to congratulate itself the national government hastened to supplement state action as far as possible 
and the prophecies of the more sanguine revolutionary fathers seemed about to be realized when the ill-considered act of south carolina showed the weakness of the constitutional compromise forty four first debate in congress seventeen eighty nine the attention of the national government was early directed to slavery and the trade by the rise in the first congress of the question of taxing slaves imported during the debate on the duty bill introduced by clymer's committee parker of virginia moved may thirteenth seventeen eighty nine to lay a tax of ten dollars per capita on slaves imported he plainly stated that the tax was designed to check the trade and that he was sorry that the constitution prevented congress from prohibiting the importation altogether the proposal was evidently unwelcome and caused an extended debate smith of south carolina wanted to postpone a matter so big with the most serious consequences to the state he represented roger sherman of connecticut could not reconcile himself to the insertion of human beings as an article of duty among goods wares and merchandise jackson of georgia argued against any restriction and thought such states as virginia ought to let their neighbors get supplied before they imposed such a burden upon the importation tucker of south carolina declared it unfair to bring in such an important subject at a time when debate was almost precluded and denied the right of congress to consider whether the importation of slaves is proper or not mr parker was evidently somewhat abashed by this onslaught of friend and foe but he had ventured to introduce the subject after full deliberation and did not like to withdraw it he desired congress if possible to wipe off the stigma under which america labored this brought jackson of georgia again to his feet he believed in spite of the fashion of the day that the negroes were better off as slaves than as freedmen and that as the tax was partial it would be the most odious tax congress could impose such sentiments were a distinct advance in pro-slavery doctrine and called for a protest from madison of virginia he thought the discussion proper denied the partiality of the tax and declared that according to the spirit of the constitution and his own desire it was to be hoped that by expressing a national disapprobation of this trade we may destroy it and save ourselves from reproaches and our posterity the imbecility ever attendant on a country filled with slaves finally to burke of south carolina who thought the gentlemen were contending for nothing madison sharply rejoined if we contend for nothing the gentlemen who are opposed to us do not contend for a great deal it now became clear that congress had been whirled into a discussion of too delicate and lengthy a nature to allow its further prolongation compromising counsels prevailed and it was agreed that the present proposition should be withdrawn and a separate bill brought in this bill was however at the next session dexterously postponed until the next session of congress forty five second debate in congress seventeen ninety it is doubtful if congress of its own initiative would soon have resurrected the matter had not a new anti-slavery weapon appeared in the shape of urgent petitions from abolition societies 
the first petition presented february eleventh seventeen ninety was from the same interstate yearly meeting of friends which had formerly petitioned the confederation congress they urged congress to inquire whether notwithstanding such seeming impediments it be not in reality within your power to exercise justice and mercy which if adhered to we cannot doubt must produce the abolition of the slave trade etc another quaker petition from new york was also presented and both were about to be referred when smith of south carolina objected and precipitated a sharp debate this debate had a distinctly different tone from that of the preceding one and represents another step in pro-slavery doctrine the keynote of these utterances was struck by stone of maryland who feared that if congress took any measures indicative of an intention to interfere with the kind of property alluded to it would sink it in value very considerably and might be injurious to a great number of the citizens particularly in the southern states he thought the subject was of general concern and that the petitioners had no more right to interfere with it than any other members of the community it was an unfortunate circumstance that it was the disposition of religious sects to imagine they understood the rights of human nature better than all the world besides in vain did men like madison disclaim all thought of unconstitutional interference and express only a desire to see if anything is within the federal authority to restrain such violation of the rights of nations and of mankind as is supposed to be practised in some parts of the united states a storm of disapproval from southern members met such sentiments the rights of the southern states ought not to be threatened said burke of south carolina any extraordinary attention of congress to this petition aver jackson of georgia would put slave property in jeopardy and evince to the people a disposition towards a total emancipation smith and tucker of south carolina declared that the request asked for unconstitutional measures jerry of massachusetts hartley of pennsylvania and lawrence of new york rather mildly defended the petitioners but after considerable debate the matter was laid on the table the very next day however the laid ghost walked again in the shape of another petition from the pennsylvania society for promoting the abolition of slavery signed by its venerable president benjamin franklin this petition asked congress to step to the very verge of the power vested in you for discouraging every species of traffic in the persons of our fellow-men hartley of pennsylvania called up the memorial of the preceding day and it was read a second time and a motion for commitment made plain words now came from tucker of south carolina the petition he said contained an unconstitutional request the commitment would alarm the south these petitions were mischievous attempts to imbue the slaves with false hopes the south would not submit to a general emancipation without civil war the commitment would blow the trumpet of sedition in the southern states echoed his colleague burke the pennsylvania men spoke just as boldly scott declared the petition constitutional and was sorry that the constitution did not interdict this most abominable traffic perhaps in our legislative capacity he said we can go no further than to impose a duty of ten dollars 
but i do not know how far i might go if i was one of the judges of the united states and those people were to come before me and claim their emancipation but i am sure i would go as far as i could jackson of georgia rejoined in true southern spirit boldly defending slavery in the light of religion and history and asking if it was good policy to bring forward a business at this moment likely to light up the flame of civil discord for the people of the southern states will resist one tyranny as soon as another the other parts of the continent may bear them down by force of arms but they will never suffer themselves to be divested of their property without a struggle the gentleman says if he was a federal judge he does not know to what length he would go in emancipating these people but i believe his judgment would be of short duration in georgia perhaps even the existence of such a judge might be in danger baldwin his new england-born colleague urged moderation by reciting the difficulty with which the constitutional compromise was reached and declaring the moment we go to jostle on that ground i fear we shall feel it tremble under our feet lawrence of new york wanted to commit the memorials in order to see how far congress might constitutionally interfere smith of south carolina in a long speech said that his constituents entered the union from political not from moral motives and that we look upon this measure as an attack upon the palladium of the property of our country page of virginia although a slave owner urged commitment and madison again maintained the appropriateness of the request and suggested that regulations might be made in relation to the introduction of them i e slaves into the new states to be formed out of the western territory even conservative jerry of massachusetts declared with regard to the whole trade that the fact that we have a right to regulate this business is as clear as that we have any rights whatever finally by a vote of forty-three to one the memorials were committed the south carolina and georgia delegations bland and coles of virginia stone of maryland and sylvester of new york voting in the negative a committee consisting of foster of new hampshire huntington of connecticut jerry of massachusetts lawrence of new york sinickson of new jersey hartley of pennsylvania and parker of virginia were charged with the matter and reported friday march fifth the absence of southern members on this committee compelled it to make this report a sort of official manifesto on the aims of northern anti-slavery politics as such it was sure to meet with vehement opposition in the house even though conservatively worded such proved to be the fact when the committee reported the onslaught to negative the whole report was prolonged and bitter the debate pro and con lasting several days forty six the declaration of powers seventeen ninety the result is best seen by comparing the original report with the report of the committee of the whole adopted by a vote of twenty nine to twenty five monday march twenty third seventeen ninety report of the select committee that from the nature of the matters contained in these memorials they were induced to examine the powers vested in congress under the present constitution relating to the abolition of slavery and are clearly of opinion first that the general government is expressly restrained from prohibiting the importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit until the year one thousand eight hundred and eight 
secondly that congress by a fair construction of the constitution are equally restrained from interfering in the emancipation of slaves who already are or who may within the period mentioned be imported into or born within any of the said states thirdly that congress have no authority to interfere in the internal regulations of particular states relative to the instructions of slaves in the principles of morality and religion to their comfortable clothing accommodations and subsistence to the regulation of their marriages and the prevention of the violation of the rights thereof or to the separation of children from their parents to a comfortable provision in cases of sickness age or infirmity or to the seizure transportation or sale of free negroes but have the fullest confidence in the wisdom and humanity of the legislatures of the several states that they will revise their laws from time to time when necessary and promote the objects mentioned in the memorials and every other measure that may tend to the happiness of slaves fourthly that nevertheless congress have authority if they shall think it necessary to lay at any time a tax or duty not exceeding ten dollars for each person of any description the importation of whom shall be by any of the states admitted as aforesaid fifthly that congress may have authority to interdict or so far as it is or may be carried on by citizens of the united states for supplying foreigners to regulate the african trade and to make provision for the humane treatment of slaves in all cases while on their passage to the united states or to foreign ports so far as respects the citizens of the united states sixthly that congress have also authority to prohibit foreigners from fitting out vessels in any port of the united states for transporting persons from africa to any foreign port seventhly that the memorialists be informed that in all cases to which the authority of congress extends they will exercise it for the humane objects of the memorialists so far as they can be promoted on the principles of justice humanity and good policy Report of the Committee of the Whole. First, that the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit cannot be prohibited by Congress prior to the year 1808. Secondly, that Congress have no authority to interfere in the emancipation of slaves or in the treatment of them within any of the states it remaining with the several states alone to provide any regulation therein which humanity and true policy may require thirdly the congress have authority to restrain the citizens of the united states from carrying on the african trade for the purpose of supplying foreigners with slaves and of providing by proper regulations for the humane treatment during their passage of slaves imported by the said citizens into the states admitting such importation fourthly that congress have authority to prohibit foreigners from fitting out vessels in any port of the united states for transporting persons from africa to any foreign port forty seven the act of seventeen ninety four this declaration of the powers of the central government over the slave trade bore early fruit in the second congress in the shape of a shower of petitions from abolition societies in massachusetts rhode island connecticut new york pennsylvania maryland and virginia 
in some of these slavery was denounced as an outrageous violation of one of the most essential rights of human nature and the slave trade as a traffic degrading to the rights of man and repugnant to reason others declared the trade injurious to the true commercial interest of a nation and asked congress that having taken up the matter they do all in their power to limit the trade congress was however determined to avoid as long as possible so unpleasant a matter and save an angry attempt to censure a quaker petitioner nothing was heard of the slave trade until the third congress meantime news came from the seas southeast of carolina and georgia which influenced congress more powerfully than humanitarian arguments had done the wild revolt of despised slaves the rise of a noble black leader and the birth of a new nation of negro freemen frightened the pro-slavery advocates and armed the anti-slavery agitation as a result a quaker petition for a law against the transport traffic in slaves was received without a murmur in seventeen ninety four and on march twenty second the first national act against the slave trade became a law it was designed to prohibit the carrying on the slave trade from the united states to any foreign place or country or the fitting out of slavers in the united states for that country the penalties for violation were forfeiture of the ship a fine of one thousand dollars for each person engaged and of two hundred dollars for each slave transported if the quakers thought this a triumph of anti-slavery sentiment they were quickly undeceived congress might willingly restrain the country from feeding west indian turbulence and yet be furious at a petition like that of seventeen ninety seven calling attention to the oppressed state of our brethren of the african race in this country and to the interstate slave trade considering the present extraordinary state of the west india islands and of europe young john rutledge insisted that sufficient for the day is the evil thereof and that they ought to shut their door against anything which had a tendency to produce the like confusion in this country after excited debate and some investigation by a special committee the petition was ordered in both senate and house to be withdrawn End of chapter seven part one